Well, we've got people up at the Pike County Fairground. I know there's a bunch of them up there. And we got people that are uh, out of town for uh, sports events and things like that. And uh, I guess we're lucky to get together as many as we did. So uh, thank you for being here this morning. God is good all the time. Let's pray. Father, I just want to ask you, please be with us here this morning. Allow your spirit to move over this, uh, this group. May we feel your presence. And Lord, uh, we are here as people who are in need of change. We need you to convict us and to help us to become the people that you have always intended, but which we have neglected to see. We make this prayer in the mighty, holy, powerful, and incredible name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I did want to say uh, a, a word about the home groups. Um, next week it starts, okay, next Sunday evening. And we are in the process of signing up. The pads are back there. I, w- I wish you would stop, pick out your group, sign up, and uh, be aware that on some of those pads there might be some kind of restriction. I notice one of the groups is going to start at 5 o'clock, so you might want to, you know, notice that. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll show up about the time they're quitting, and uh, that, that doesn't work very well. <clears throat> and uh, I, I just, there's something uh, that has just come to mind here. Um, I, have a, I have at least two or three families in mind. We're having a group at my house, okay? And I have at least two or three families in my mind that I have not seen in a while. And I, I intend to invite them to come to my home group. Uh, it's an opportunity to just kind of look around and see the people that haven't been around for a while. And to make a phone call, go visit them or something and say, uh, hey, would you like to be in my home group? If you're the host, that works so very well. You're inviting them over to your house. And it's hard to say no. It is. It's hard to say no in those circumstances. And I don't want them to say no. I want them to say yes. And... Um, I think we just, all of us, especially the host, need to look at the people on their list there and maybe look at the other list and say, hey, this, for some reason, they're not here. They're not signed up. I want to be in my group. And uh, tonight, uh, I'm going to bring back some cards. Um, I I wish I had them here this morning, but I'm going to bring back some cards of some families that fit into that category. And if if you come back tonight and you happen to see your name on that card, don't be offended. I just care about you. <laughs> I, I, want you uh, I want you to be fed spiritually. I want you to enjoy the fellowship of the saints. And these uh, home groups are a wonderful way to do that. Anyway, I'm going to have some cards with me tonight. And I'm just going to go through that, that fellowship directory and jot down the names of some people that I haven't seen in a while. And I want one of you hosts to grab a couple, two or three of those cards, and make sure those people get a phone call this week. And they're invited to come to your group. Also, I want the leaders, and by that I mean the ministers, the elders, and deacons, take a real good look at, the, at what's in the bulletin. There's some important information there. And then go back here and take a look at those pads, and you find the group that you would like to work with, you would like to lead. And all the materials and everything that we need to do the groups are back there on the table, information sheets for hosts and for leaders. And please... Um, uh, we've only got one week, and we want to make this thing work. All right. Uh, 
I want to put a list of names up on the board here for you. Ten names there. If you recognize these names, don't, don't blow it for me, okay? Actually, that's a list of the, uh, of the uh, kids that made the honor roll in the fifth grade at Bethlehem Middle School <laughs> for the first marking period. No, there's ten names there. And I'm just kind of interested. If you know, don't, don't, don't say it out loud. But who are these people? You ever hear about these people? This list here. Shamua, Shaphat, Egal, Palti, Gadiel, Gaddy, Amiel, Nabi, Joe, Sether. These are kids that all hated their name. That's what they got to have. <laughs> they hated their names and they didn't want to go to school. No. Who are these people? Would it help if I told you that these ten are part of a larger group of twelve? And would it help if I told you where this list is found? It's found in Numbers chapter 13. And my last clue is this. When I, give you, when I say this, that you're going to know who these people are. There are two men missing from the list. The name of one of them is Caleb and the other is Joshua. Now you know, don't you? This is the list of the 12 spies sent by Moses to spy out the promised land before the nation of Israel went up into the promised land by God's command. And this is the first time, just a year and a half or so after they have gone out of Egypt, they, they come to the southern border of, of uh, Canaan land, and God commands them to go in. But before they go, they send in, God says some, to them about sending in some spies. Now, the ten on the list are the ten spies who gave the negative report, the majority report. That's the name of those ten guys right there. And the reason we don't know about them is because that's, they gave the negative report. The two that we remember are the two who said, we can take the land. Let us go up at once and take the land, for we are well able to overcome it. That's King James, okay? I'm going to be reading out a New American Standard here in a minute. It doesn't read exactly that way. But that was the report. Let us go up at once and to the land, for we are well, and take the land, for we are well able to overcome it. That was the report, the minority report. Caleb and Joshua will be remembered not just because of that positive report, but they will be remembered for being men of a different spirit. And in this section that we're looking at here this morning, it's in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, God makes a comment specifically about Caleb, although I think it would apply also to Joshua too, since Joshua was right there with him and agreed with him, and part of that that minority report. But Numbers chapter 14 and verse 24. Let me read those words. This is what God had to say to Moses about Caleb. But my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit, has followed me fully. I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. He identifies Caleb as the man of a different spirit. And of course, I, I think that applied to Joshua too, but I want to focus on on Caleb this morning. Caleb is a a relatively minor character in the Bible, uh, but he receives this amazing commendation from the Lord. We don't know a lot about him, but we do know everything that we do know is good. Caleb was never recognized as a great leader, not like some of the other people I can mention here. I kind of put him on the second or third tier of, of people in the Bible. 
first tier people are people like David and Moses and Elijah and Abraham, Peter and Paul, people like that. And then we have these, uh, there are major characters, but they, uh, major people, but they're kind of on a second tier. They're not quite up there with David and Moses and those fellows. The kind of people I'm talking about are, are people like Barnabas and Timothy and Silas and Martha and Lydia and people like that who are actually named, but they're not so prominent. I kind of put Caleb in that category. And here's the first thing I, I, I think I want us to see as we start to talk about Caleb this morning, because he's the one we want to focus on. Despite Caleb was never on the level of the great leaders of the Bible, despite that fact, He was used by God. He was recognized by God. He was blessed by God in a great way. And I think there's some encouragement in that for us because none of us here, not a one of us here, are prominent in the kingdom of God. But that doesn't mean that we can't be used by God, recognized by God, and blessed by God. On the contrary, we can. But there's one requirement, and it's identified there in chapter 14 and verse 24. It's to have that different spirit. We have to cultivate that same spirit that was in Caleb if we would be used by God, blessed by God, recognized by God. I want to go back and take a quick look at the story in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. And then uh, just make some lessons uh, here for us today just to think about. But uh, to go back a little bit before Numbers 13 and 14, uh, go back to the story of Israel leaving Egypt. They did. They were in slavery in Egypt. And God by the, uh, led them out through his leadership and through the human leadership of Moses. God takes them across the Red Sea by a miracle. And within 50 days of the time that they cross the Red Sea and leave, leave Egypt, they arrive at Mount Sinai, and there they camp for a year. While they're at my, Mount Sinai, uh, they receive the law. And for a while there, it's, uh, it's like it takes a year for Israel to finally uh, grasp everything that God wants for them. The books of, uh, of Leviticus uh, are given there, and also uh, Numbers and, and, and all of that. That's all right there for us to look at. And, uh, but there's a whole system that is uh, taught to Israel there at Mount Sinai. After about a year and a half from the time that they leave Egypt, or about a year after they camp at, Moses, at Sinai, they move for the southern border of the Promised Land, Canaan Land. God gave them this command in chapter 13, starting at verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send out for yourself men, so that they may spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give to the sons of Israel. You shall send a man from each of their father's tribes, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the command of the Lord, and all of them men who are heads of the sons of Israel. So God gives a command about the selection of spies, and he sends them. He says, these men are to go up into the land and spy it out. Now, a question comes up here. I mean, when you stop and think about what God is saying here, why in the world would God send spies into the promised land? Was he going to find something there that was going to change the mission? Really? I think God already decided what was going to happen. And was he going to find out anything new? Was, it, was this to bring back information from God, for God? No, he wouldn't be God if he didn't know what was up there, would he? He wouldn't have any idea what that was. So it, it, it's got nothing to do with God or nothing to do with changing the mission. The spies are not about gathering new information for God. God is going to send those spies in, uh, in there regardless. 
But God sent those 12 spies into, the, into Canaan land to gather information for Israel. God wanted a people who would obey even if things looked impossible. And the first thing he wanted them to see was the fact that for all practical purposes to any rational human being, going into Canaan land would be impossible. That's the first thing he wanted to establish with them. And then he gave them a command. You've got to go in there. And you've got to fight these people. God was uh, taking the first steps toward developing a nation of people the way he wanted them. When the spies come back, they spend 40 days in the wilderness there, or in, in Canaan land. When they come back, they have a report to give to Moses and Aaron and all the people that are there. And the spies' report confirmed everything uh, that was being said about Canaan land. It was an amazingly fertile land. Numbers chapter 13, 25, 26, and 27, the spies come back. It says that when they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Now, the fruit of the land they're showing them is a, a huge cluster of grapes that they have picked and put on a pole so big that it took two men to carry the pole where they had the, this cluster of grapes on them. But they've got that with them. They, just as evidence, you know, exhibit number one. And thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. So that was the first part of the report that was made there. All 12 of these spies agree. Everyone agrees, and this is an amazing place. It's every bit as wonderful as what, uh, as what God told us it would be. But there were some things in the land that paralyzed some of the spies who went there with fear. And so in Numbers chapter 13, 28 and 29, is the majority report. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. And so once they, they I mean, they saw all the wonderful things. A land flowing with milk and honey. Man, we're talking about a fertile land. Look at, these, look at this uh, produce we're bringing back. There were things in this, in this uh, land that just scared him to death. First of all, there were giants in the land, the sons of Anak. Later on, he's going to refer to them as the Nephilim. And the sons of Anak were actually the, <clears throat> the predecessors of people like Goliath. You know, we meet them later on in the Bible. And they lived down around the area of, of Hebron. That was their area. And so if you can imagine a guy uh, seven, eight, nine feet tall, big as Goliath. He was nine foot six inches. I think is what that works out for Goliath. Nine foot six, six inches. And man, just a huge man. If you can imagine coming up against somebody like that, you might understand why they were afraid. And there were great walled cities in this, in this place. It wasn't just the giants that were in the land, but there were, there were people who were numerous and well-established and warlike. That's all the, uh, the Jebusites and the, and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Canaanites and all the otherites that are living around in there. They're, they're not just some little podunk people, some bunch of hillbillies living on the hillside. They're sophisticated. They've, uh, they've got weapons that the Israelites don't have. And they lived in walled cities. And there have actually been archaeological ex 
excavations done of, of this particular area of the, of the Canaanites, Canaanite cities from this time. And the, the walls that they have found of those uh, walled cities are 12 to 15 feet, feet thick. There's rock on one side, rock on the other, and filled in with smaller gravel and rock and dirt. All It goes up for 30, 40, 50 feet up. I mean, these are walls. Uh, we're talking about walled cities that you're not going to just knock down without paying a, a terrible price. And then there were other powerful Canaanite peoples there. But Caleb speaks up at this point. And this is Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30. After they've told him about all the things that just scared him to death, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, but we will surely overcome it. And it's for that comment and for that spirit that Caleb is commended in chapter 14, verse 24, by God. He's called a man of a different spirit. What was going on inside of Caleb was very different than what was going on inside of the ten spies. For the next 15 or 20 minutes, I want to talk to you about the spirit of the majority. And next week, we'll talk about the spirit of Caleb. But for a while, I just want to talk about what was going on with the majority here. Because, sad to say, very sad to say, we have more in common with the spirit of the majority here than we do the spirit of Caleb. And we ought to hang our heads in shame. Because we serve a great God. I want to start with the most obvious. The most obvious thing you see in the majority is just fear, the spirit of fear. Ten men said, we cannot do this. This is a suicide mission. We are no match for these people. Give up. Canada said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. Caleb was a man of a different spirit. 365 times, and maybe more than that, the Bible commands us not to fear. And the reason God does that is because that's always been a big issue with people. And God tells us we cannot live our lives in fear. Ten men said, we cannot do it. And Caleb said, oh, yes, we can. God expects obedience. And some of what he commands us at various times is going to be just scary. That's all. There'll be giants in the land. There'll be walled cities. There'll be powerful people ensconced against us. Caleb might have been scared, but not enough to disobey his God. Paul said to Timothy, Paul was, you know, Timothy was just a young fellow. He's starting off in the city of Ephesus with the church there. Maybe, I think it was his first work, his first actual time to try and be with it, work with the church. And so what does Paul say to Timothy? 2 Timothy 1 and 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. He said, Timothy, you can do this. You can do it. The spirit of the majority was a spirit of fear. And that's where their problems began, and that's where our problems have begun. And that's where they remain. There's a second thing I want you to see about this, uh, the spirit of the majority. 
And this happens when Caleb makes his report in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30. Let's put it back up there. Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the ten, the majority, the majority of these spies, had some a response to make to what Caleb just said. And I want you to listen to it. The spirit of the majority was to magnify the problems that they had just mentioned a couple verses before. The majority respond to Caleb's report by magnifying the problems they had already mentioned. Numbers chapter 13, 31, 32, and 33. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land through which, that we, through which we have gone, or which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people, all the people whom we saw, it was just, you know, it used to be, you know, they're giants there and they're strong people, but all the people that we saw, you know, it's, it's, it, 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 these giants are becoming more numerous, okay, and they're getting bigger by the minute. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. And so I, 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 what I want you to see is the giants kept getting bigger by the minute and more numerous. And the people of Israel kept getting smaller and smaller until they felt like they were nothing but grasshoppers. And they, they say all the people were giants. And the walls were getting thicker and higher. And it was becoming more and more impossible. And, and they were spreading this word. They were talking about these things among the people there. You know, it's one thing to acknowledge legitimate problems, to be realistic. And God is certainly not against that. In fact, that's why he sent them into Canaan in the first place. He wanted them to see exactly what they were up against. Here's the problems. Here's the things, the obstacles. Here's the things that have to be overcome. I want you to know what they are. Now go in there and do my, do my bidding. I'm commanding you to go in there. Wow. But God's command was to go in and take the land. And sometimes in the name of faith, we do foolish things. And those foolish things aren't... Are, are, you know, we think of them maybe as matters of faith when we begin them. It's, this is really what God wants us to do, and, and we find out later on that we were doing something very foolish. We just kind of label something as faith. And the Bible tells us, is this Proverbs 22 and 3? I think about this verse often. The prudent sees the evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. That's, that's the proverb. The prudent, the prudent man sees the problems. The prudent man understands something's got to be done. We've got to make some kind of adjustment. We can't just, you know, go straight at this necessarily. The prudent sees the evil and he makes some kind of adjustment for what he's facing. But the naive heads right on in and he's punished for it. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing. He's in trouble. But the spirit of the majority was to magnify their problems, to make them bigger than what they were. The spirit of Caleb was to see the problems, but to obey anyway. And we need to remember the promise that God has made to us in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. There is no temptation overtaking you, 
There is no testing that has overtaken you. There is no trial, no trouble, no problem, no obstacle that has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. People have faced this before. But God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted above or tried or tested above that you're able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. The spirit of the majority was to magnify problems. God said, he said, no matter what you're facing, he says, I'm bigger than that, and I'll, I'll get you through this. You've just got to trust me. If I'm sending you in there, you've just got to trust me because there's no test, no obstacle, no thing you're going to come up against that I don't already know about. And I'm providing you a way of escape. The spirit of the majority was to magnify problems. But Caleb was a man of a different spirit. He saw everything that the ten spies did, both good and bad. But his response was this. We should by all means go up and take possession of it, or we will surely overcome it. Now, I want to go on into the next verses here. This is Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. And let's read those verses very quickly, because this immediately follows what we've just read. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones would become plundered. They're going to be slaves. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. There's a couple things here in, the, in the, these comments, in verses 1 through 4, I want to point out to you. First of all, the spirit of the majority was to want easy victory and instant success. You know what the majority really wanted to see when they went into the promised land? They wanted to see the land flowing with milk and honey. They wanted to see that produce. They wanted to see a rich and fertile land. But so far as the population that was in that land, you know what they wanted to see? They wanted to see a couple dozen uh, unarmed midgets in wheelchairs who were scared of their own shadows and living in pup tents. That's what they wanted to see. Instead, what they saw was some formidable stuff, impossible stuff. They wanted easy victory and instant success. That's what they really wanted. But when it became clear, there would be no easy victory and no quick success. With or without God, they were ready to give up. All they could see were all these battles ahead. And it could take months or even years to clean out all these Canaanites, even if we tried and so now they're ready to go back to Egypt, to the slavery of Egypt. The spirit of the majority was to look for the path of least resistance, the smallest possible risk, and the least amount of effort. That's what the spirit of the majority was all about. And if that's what they were looking for, then Canaan was not a place they wanted to go. And they realized that. I think, I, I, I hate to say this, but so many people become Christians and they want their sins forgiven and their lives fixed. And they want God's blessings. And they want to enter the promised land, so to speak. And they want it all to happen right now without sacrifice, without obedience, without faith, without perseverance, without prayer. They want it all to happen just kind of automatically and very quickly. And I can't blame them. But there comes a time when it's clear that that's not going to be the case with Christ. I'm not saying that Christ can't do that for somebody, but usually he doesn't. 
There's something about the struggle that's important to us spiritually. And so when they find out it's not going to be easy, they turn around and they head back toward their slavery in Egypt. Here's the other thing I noticed in chapter 14, verses 1 through 4, about the spirit of the majority. The security of slavery was more desirable to them than, in the end, uncertainty and the risk of freedom. I want you to think about that for a while. They had rather be slaves than be free if freedom was going to require them to face the giants in the land and the walled cities and the Amorites and the Jebusites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Canaanites and all the otherites. The spirit of the majority was that the security of slavery is more desirable to us than the uncertainty and the risk of freedom. I want you to look again at Numbers 14, verses 3 and 4. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? And so they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. We are better off as slaves in Egypt than dead men in Canaan. It's been a year and a half since uh, these, the nation left Egypt. But every time the nation encounters some kind of difficulty along the way, and you can read this for yourself, but I, I know this happens. I see, I see it happen over and over again in the story. Every time some difficulty comes along the way, these people turn around and start looking back toward Egypt as if that was the good old days. Wasn't it great, you know, we're back, back there being slaves in Egypt? We had three squares and a cot. It was great. And, uh, you know, we didn't have to worry about anything. Think about it. Everything was taken care of. All we had to do was work like dogs all the time. Have our babies killed. That's, that's all. And they look back on, the, on Egypt as the good old days. And uh, don't we wish we could go back there now. But the, we hooked up with this God. And man, he's, he's got us in deep trouble. Victor Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist and POW in the Nazi concentration camps of World War II. And uh, you, you, should re- you should recognize that name because he's a famous, uh, he became famous because he wrote a book about his experiences in the Nazi concentration camp and about the prisoners and the men that he observed in the camps. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he saw people pressed to the very last drop of life. You know, some of them survived and some of them did not. And his book is about what makes the difference between a guy that just gives up and a guy who manages to live through hell on earth? Watch the difference. That's what the book's about. But he wrote about the final days of the war as conditions in the camps got worse and worse. The Nazis were running short on the supplies to take care of their soldiers, and so they gave less and less to the prisoners. It came to a point where they gave practically nothing to the people who were fenced off and in the barracks of their concentration camps. You can imagine what were horrible conditions became beyond belief. It was, it was terrible. It was uh, simply horrible beyond belief. And so the, these men were sick and weak and emaciated beyond recognition, walking skeletons when uh, they were finally liberated. The Allied forces arrived, finally came in, the war ended. They liberated the men in these camps. And Victor Frankl was one of those men who was in, that, in those camps. He witnessed the day of release for the prisoners in his own camp. 
And uh, he remembers that day. The soldiers actually had to go into the barracks to lead these people out. I don't know if it's because they're too physically weak to come out or what. But they actually had to go in and lead these people out to tell them that they were free. And they did come out. And for a few moments, they looked around and they saw the sunlight. They hadn't seen sunlight in weeks, perhaps. They'd gotten too weak to even move around. But they came out and they looked around. And then they turned around and went back inside the barracks to where they felt safe. That was Frankel's explanation because he felt that same thing going on inside of him in the days after he wrote, I mean, at that time, and then he wrote about it later on. That was Frankel's explanation. The security of the barracks, horrible as it was, was preferable to the risk of freedom. It just took too much energy to be free. The only security they had known for months, and in some cases years, was inside that barracks. And whereas freedom sounded like a great idea, and they had waited for freedom for years, they had waited for their liberators to come. When the moment finally arrived that they could be free again, they returned to the misery of their captivity. The spirit of the majority was to go back to the security of slavery in Egypt. Caleb was a man of a different spirit. Not only was he longing for freedom, but he was ready to fight for it, to risk everything, to live in Canaan as a free man under the leadership of God. And so God gives Caleb an amazing commendation. Chapter 14 and verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has had a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land which he entered, and his descendants shall take possession of it. Most of us here have crossed over into Canaan land, and by that I just mean that we, we have become Christians. That is Canaan land. Uh, Canaan land is not heaven. Canaan is moving into the kingdom of God while we're here on earth. There are struggles in Canaan land. There were struggles in Canaan land. And when we cross over into Canaan land, we are beginning our struggle as Christians in this world. Most of us here have crossed over into Canaan. But we find ourselves looking back at the ease and the security of our former lives. Some of us do. We were slaves then, but those were the good old days. And we think about them that way sometimes. We forget about the misery. We forget about all the horrible things that happened to us. And because of that spirit... 603,548 Israelite men wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and eventually died there. And two crossed over into Canaan land. Caleb was a man of a different spirit. And that is the spirit that we need as Christians today. Next week I want to talk about the spirit of Caleb I'm going to forget about the majority for a while. We've talked about the spirit of the majority today. But next week, I want to talk about the different spirit of Caleb. And um, I hope you'll come back. If there is someone here this morning who's not a child of God, the Bible says that by faith and repentance and confession of faith, we can enter into the body of Christ. We go into Canaan land. We begin the struggle there against those obstacles. But we're living under the leadership of God as free men. And that's a great blessing. And then we have the greater Canaan, heaven, waiting for us at the end. 
And for someone here this morning who's never become a Christian, by faith and repentance, confession of faith and baptism, we enter into the body of Christ. And if there is a Christian here today who maybe spent a lot of time looking back on the good old days, wanting to go back to the slavery and misery of, of Egypt, then maybe it's time for you to turn around and look in a different direction. And maybe you want to come and make some kind of request of the congregation. We'll stand and sing our hymn of invitation. If you need